Penguins tied at one game apiece, game three tomorrow night. Joining me now from DKPittsburghSports.com, it's Serbian reactionary Dayon Kovacevic. Uh, Dayon, what's your take on last night's win? Where does the series go from here? Well, I thought it was pretty thorough on the Penguins' part, and that began with Tristan Jari making a couple of early saves that allowed his teammates to maintain confidence in him. And I also think that this game really underscored the challenge that's in front of the Penguins because they put forth an awful lot of effort to just beat this team by one goal. You know what I mean? And when you see that, it makes you realize the, the, the huge gap that there is between being good in the regular season and, and, and succeeding in the playoffs. Obviously a threshold the Penguins have struggled with in recent years. Uh, this, I thought, was a, a bit of a breakthrough for them in that regard. Now, now, all they have to do is maintain that in a hostile environment for the next two games. Yeah, which is certainly easier said than done. That said, I don't think they'll be packed there. I don't know what the capacity allowed up there is going to be. But that's always been a It'll difficult... Be It'll be 10, Mark. It's be always been like a difficult right rink for the Penguins to play in. Uh, I agree. I think it's going to be a, a series of one-goal games, and I think it goes seven. Uh, why won't people give Chris Letang the credit he deserves? I, I think he's had a great season, and he's been the Penguins' best player in these first two playoff games. I don't know who people are. Uh, in my column today, I, I wrote that if I had a Conn Smythe trophy voting after two whole playoff games, that Chris Letang would get all three of my votes available on the ballot. I think he's been outstanding. Uh, he, in addition to being as in control as you want him to be, meaning not doing crazy, silly, ill-advised things on the rink, he's also been sufficiently out of control. And I think you know what I mean when I'm saying that. Well, yeah, he's uh, become more he's, buttoned up without abandoning the identity of the way he plays. Yeah, he, he'll, and, but he's still going for broke. Uh, he's he's a lot more physical and a lot nastier and meaner than a lot of people might realize uh, on the rink. And last night, I thought he carried that to both ends of the rink. He pressured the Islanders hard in the attacking zone, and in his own end, I mean, he just he just commanded the rink. I, I don't know how else to put that. He has been the best player in this series on either side, and it's only been two games. And we have seen Latang go the other direction real hard, real fast. So I'm not making any long-range pronouncements here. But he has been outstanding. Uh, we talked about Latang. Dumoulin was incredible. I'm not sure he gets proper credit either. But I thought the whole defensive core played better, uh, especially Marino and Matheson, who struggled mightily in Game 1. Why do you think that was? I think Jari's performance in Game 1 put them on edge in game one and not in a good way. Yeah, and I think that hurt a couple of guys more than it did others. Um, I, Matheson showed some flashes last night. He also was on the ice for six of the seven chances that were uh, executed while he was out there. So I had the same impression you did in watching him, and then I looked at the analytics and thought, eh, maybe it wasn't that great. The guy who I thought was most adversely affected. I know you asked a positive question here, but the guy who was most adversely affected, I thought, was Marcus Pedersen. And that's partly because, and I don't mean to blame everything on Jari's game one performance, but Pedersen was out there for one of those goals, and it's like 
you do feel like you get burned as a defenseman, even when you give up a bad goal. Uh, you know, last night, if you're the defenseman who's between Brian Rust and Semyon Varlamov and that puck floats in, you still, as the defenseman, are trying to think about what you did wrong. And it can mess you up on the next few shifts, if not longer. So that's why when I say it was a breakthrough, I feel like the fact that Jari played well and the defenseman maintained their trust in him and didn't go outside themselves was a big W for the Penguins. The Islanders are playing very heavy and a little dirty. How can the Penguins best deal with that in the context of a seven-game series when so much of what happens is cumulative? They really do. Yeah, I, I think, Mark, when, whenever you look at the Penguins and you talk about the word physical, and Mike Sullivan spoke with us about that this afternoon, he, he sees it as something that's very different than Brandon Tanev's check on Brock Nelson. He sees it as how hard do you battle for that puck? How much do you want that 50-50 puck on the boards? Uh, how much are you willing to give and sacrifice to get it, including taking a hit? And the Penguins did that to their peak. I really believe this last night. Now, can they sustain that? I don't know. Can Jake Gensel survive? Two more games of the beating he's taken individually. I don't know. Okay. This is a best of seven. And when you play a physical style, as the Islanders have done, your goal isn't necessarily to wear down the opponent in games one and two. It's to have a, a difference made for games five, six, and seven. But we'll see about the impact overall. Uh, I don't know that the Penguins can handle it any better than they did last night, though. Well, within the context of their roster, I think over the long haul, meaning past this year, they got to get bigger and heavier. And if Mike Sullivan doesn't like it, I think he has to learn to live with it because that's the direction the league's heading. Well, if you wanted to, you could adjust some things, you know, even in this series. You know, if you wanted to bring in Anthony Angelo, who's now on the taxi squad, if you wanted to bring in Sam Lafferty and have them bang some bodies and stuff. But then you look at these forwards last night and how well they played. If you're, if you're taking out someone for size purposes, let's say you remove Evan Rodriguez, who's probably the most bubble guy out of all the forwards. Look at what you're losing. This guy was all over the puck last night. You know what I mean? Oh, so, no, no, no. I wouldn't know, bring in Angelo or Lafferty because I think that would be like throwing a deck chair off the Titanic in terms of having impact on the Islanders playing heavy. I'm talking about past this season. No, right now you got to play the cards you got and make the best of it. And the, the way to make the best of it is just do what they do. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But if there is something that needs to be done along the way, they have at least one or two adjustments that they could make. I just don't think they'll happen. The Penguins' power play stunk last night, and the refs didn't call much anyway. That's kind of a, a of a couple problems that are that are linked together, isn't it? It, it, it is. And, you know, when you look at the, the Islanders' penalty kill in particular, who does that remind you of? It's Philadelphia, you know? Uh, really aggressive. They constantly force you to turn your back. Uh, Cal Clutterbuck in particular, I think, for New York has been outstanding at this. As soon as the Penguins cross the blue line, he's all over. Even when they set up, he's all over the puck carrier. Uh, and they're also pressuring further up the rink. They're not making anything easy, including the zone entries for the Penguins, and that's the Philadelphia formula. It's the reason the Flyers have been as successful as they have over the years in killing penalties against the Penguins. For whatever reason, the Penguins' power play, 
doesn't like it. They'd rather that you kind of just back off and watch them. And they're going to have to adjust. Uh, the easy answer to that is to shoot the puck more. But if you're shooting the puck while you're in a bad spot, you're not going to get a whole lot out of it. Uh, yeah, Mike but if Sullivan you come out said, shooting, you'll open up their box. Right, right, right. But the box isn't the problem as much as Clutterbuck and these guys who are straying from the box. And I, I think one of the things that Sullivan brought up today as it related to the power play that I found interesting was he said he'd like to just see more support, uh, meaning whoever it is that has the puck, come back to him. You know, come back to him. Give him an outlet. You know, more, think of it like basketball, you know, where you, you want to make sure that the passer has somewhere to go with the pass. And I think that'll make a difference. You know another thing that would make a difference? When you see the second power play unit out there, watch how Kasperi means the zone. He looks like Phil Kessel doing it. The first power play with all those great players doesn't necessarily... Oh, well, that's because Dejan, like I've said for years, the Penguins, for all the talent they've had, had had very few what you would call great power play players, power play minds. Kessel was one. Gonchar was one. Lemieux was obviously one. But you look at Crosby and Malkin, Latang too. They're not great power play guys. They're, they just don't get it like players of their skill you'd think they should. No, I think if you go back, you know, if you're, if you're going to drop names going back, I, you know, I'd throw in Alexei Kovalev, who's the most automatic zone entry guy you've ever seen. Yeah, but except he couldn't <laughs> hit the net to save his life. He always shot top corner. It didn't matter because he got you in there and set you up. Um, you know, I, I like uh, I, I like the idea of at least entertaining Kapanen in some form or other if you continue to have trouble with zone entries. But honestly, Mark, the other thing that they didn't do and the power plays that they've had is when they had trouble with zone entries, just chip it by them and go get it. They didn't do that at all. So that could be another answer for you. Uh, Sullivan never matches lines. Never avoids what the other coach matches. Never changes the way the Penguins play based on the other team. Is that good or bad? Describe the pros and cons. Well, I wouldn't say never. I mean, if you look at the fact that the, in particular, that well, the very rarely. Yeah, but the Teddy Bluger line was out there against Matt Barzal uh, almost all the time, and that's the reason that Matt Barzal and uh, Jordan Eberle have zero goals and zero assists through two games and really have barely even been visible. Think about it, especially for how visible player Barzal is, especially. Uh, he's not that into it. He's definitely not into it as it relates to Sid. Uh, Sid just goes out there against whoever he's out there against. So I guess in one hand, at least it makes you worry less about what will happen in New York. I mean, Barry Trotz can try to get the Barzell line away from the Bluger line. Uh, but where Sid is concerned, he's just going to face whoever it is that he faces. So if Sid's out there against Casey Zizekas or whatever, you're right. Sullivan doesn't particularly care. Uh, he feels his guys will match up against whoever. The advantage that the Penguins have right now, and I think we are seeing this, is that they have rolled four lines, and all four, in their own way, have been effective and productive. And, man, that's that's a heck of a thing to have over a Well, I'd like to see a few months. more goals, but, yeah, I think all four lines are playing fairly well, especially last night. Uh, game three is always huge. This game three isn't looming as an exception, is it? No, it, it's not. It's not, especially because I think the Islanders are going to, uh, based on some of their comments, are going to try to build up the whole, you know, ooh, they're playing at Nassau Coliseum. And remember 20, 
19, what that was like there. And, and this isn't going to be a replication of that. You're talking about 9,000 people there. Yeah, it's a small place. It's going to be really, really loud and rocking and nasty and all that other stuff here. But um, if you're the Penguins and you withstood what the Islanders just threw at you in Pittsburgh, uh, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near a factor of what it was a couple of years ago. Um, and really, the Islanders aren't playing that same way, Mark. You and I have talked about this. No, I, I don't the think they're the same team, team as two years ago. Yeah. I think they do play the same way, but I think there's some gaps in that style because the team has changed, especially yeah, their defensive the whole, core. Yeah, you're right, especially on the side. That's probably the strongest point that can be made here because those guys were banging. They were nasty. Anytime the Penguins came anywhere near the New York zone, you knew they felt it. And you look at these guys they've got now back there, these you know, a bunch oh, of oh no! Forgive the interruption, for the but part. but the way that manifests itself most most uh, clearly is the Penguins are getting through the neutral zone, not untouched, but it's not nearly as difficult as it had been two years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, you know what's funny? Uh, uh, I, one of the things I was thinking about and watching this game last night is everyone talks about the Trots Islanders and oh their system and the defensively, dude, they've given up eighty six shots through two games. 123 shot attempts through two games. They're not stifling anybody, Mark. Oh, and by the way, the numbers I just gave you are just five on five. Okay? I mean, this, this is, the Penguins are averaging a shot a minute in this series. Nobody's getting shut down. Nobody's getting boxed out. Nobody's definitely getting trapped in the neutral zone. The Penguins are navigating through it without hardly any issues. And as such... If the Islanders are going to win this series, Semyon Varlamov is going to have to be everything that he was after the Brian Rust goal last night. And that's asking a lot of a guy who's historically not been that player. Uh, finally, Dejan, uh, one thing that made it a photo finish last night is Brian Rust took like the dumbest penalty ever. Uh, if that would have been the turning point for the series, boy, it's a good thing he had a couple cup rings before that. Actually, uh, Rusty has no two. He has two. Or he'd be Bill Buckner. He does. You know what? Brian Rust has earned all the mulligans, and I think you would agree. No, no, I disagree. I disagree. If Mario, in his prime, in that situation, catches the puck and throws it, I'm calling him a dumbass. All he's doing there, he had three guys on him, and all he wants to do is get it out of the zone, and he just lost his mind for a second. And he knew it, too. He was so, afterward, was so remorseful. Uh, it, it's you know he's Brian Rust. He's the guy they model all their minor league players after. He he's earned a mulligan. He's fine. By I hope me. they don't teach them to do that. No, no. That, although you know what, if you were ever going to get away with it in any game, this was going to be the one. The way they called that. Oh, in these playoffs in general. That's Dejan Kovacevic. He's brought to us by your neighborhood Ford stores. I'm Mark Madden. One oh five. Oh, ask Mark anything. Ask Mark anything, 412-333-WXDX.